Brother Bram said that question and answers can be a little bit treacherous. But thankfully, we didn't have no treacherous ones in this batch. So maybe we can just stand together and we'll, we'll pray and ask the Lord to help us. And <clears throat> Anybody like to be remembered tonight as we pray? Just raise your hand with your request in your heart. Heavenly Father, as we've assembled here tonight, Lord, we're still just so grateful for the service that you gave us yesterday. Your presence was so wonderful and so awesome. Lord, your people responding into that presence. I've just been thinking about it all day, how great it was. I can't imagine what it's going to be like when we get there that day, Father. We never have to leave that presence. We'll be in that forever. But we're here tonight for a better understanding of the things of life. Lord, this is what we're going to deal with tonight is questions from the hearts of these young people, things they don't understand or direction that they're looking for in life. I pray that you would help me, Lord. You see my heart. You know I'd never, ever want to mislead or misdirect one soul. I know I have a lot to answer for at that day. And I pray that you would help me, Lord, that I would only give that which is pleasing to you. Bless our time together, we pray, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. <clears throat> I thought it might be a little bit better for us if I would uh, have the, the questions and then uh, put it up on the, on the board here, or the screen, rather, behind me. And then the scriptures and quotes and things that I'll use as well. So it would help you to be able to read them. Um, I normally study in Microsoft Word, and then I will make a uh, PDF file and uh, <clears throat> send it to my iPad. So today I had the bright idea of just sending that PDF file to, to the brothers, so they had to totally redo it. So hopefully it's going to be legible where you can be able to read it. So Brother Josiah was really working hard up there to get it, get it going. So here's the first question that we'd like to look at tonight. How do you know when God is leading you to do something. Now, this is not something that just pertains to young people. As a matter of fact, all of us all through our life will be faced with this answer and this question of how can we know when God is leading us in a certain way. Now, we know one thing for sure that God will never lead us contrary to his word. But when God gave us the word, he didn't tell us the answer to absolutely every decision that we would ever make. And God did that for a reason. He could have handed you the book of your life when you were born and said, now on this day, you'll be facing this. On this day, you'll be facing that. And when you do, do this. And then tomorrow, you'll be facing that. And when you do, do this. He could have given you every day of your life. But that would have made him so impersonal. So he give us the things that he determined was necessary and essential in the word. And then he gave us preachers that would come, of course, and be able to preach to us. But he left an element of that to where that it would require you and myself to go to him in prayer and petition him and ask him, Lord, what should I do? I don't know what to do about this or that or the other. 
But <clears throat> let's start tonight with the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 2. And Paul says, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Well, I love the way that he describes what the will of God is. That ye may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now we know that God has two aspects to his will. One is a permissive will and the other one is his perfect will. We are living as far as our natural births by the permissive will. Never, never did God want for us to be born between a man and a woman the way we are. But yet God has allowed it to be so and he will work it in to make it fit into his perfect will. So how do we know when God is leading us to do something? It will always, always bring him glory and credit and honor. Now this, this is a very broad spectrum in that it covers the, your job, your vocation, the man or woman you're going to marry, the place that you might live, the church you will go to. It will cover every aspect of your life. After you're born again and you receive the Holy Ghost and then you are led by God to the mate that God wants you to have. This will be one of the most important things that you'll ever understand about God. How to find his will. Now I don't mind telling you as a preacher, I know for myself, sometimes the will of God seems like it's so evasive and you search for it and you search and you pray and you ask him. And there's times to where that you will do your very best and it seems like it just doesn't work out. Do I wish it was easier sometimes? I do. But I figure I'm probably more lazy than what I am. Because if God just give us that answer as soon as we ask him for it, we would be more spoiled and we would expect everything so much faster. So sometimes he wants us to actually feel somewhat of a burden. Notice again in Romans 15.32 that Paul said, That I may come unto you with joy by the will of God and may with you be refreshed. So here is a church age messenger, a prophet. And he was desiring to be able to go somewhere and to be able to preach to the children of God. But he wanted to make sure that it was the will of God. In Colossians chapter 4 verse 12, he mentions another brother here whose name is Epaphras, which is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently. Now listen what this brother's call was. Laboring fervently for you in prayers. So we don't have a record that this guy was a preacher. We don't have any record that he went out being a missionary. But his labor, of what he, the way he labored for the kingdom of God, was he labored for the saints of God in prayer. What a great thing. And this is what he prayed. That ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Now this is what I find amazing about the will of God. That a person may find the right mate, totally in the will of God. They might find the right job, totally in the will of God. But they may get in their mind, they want to live and say, this city versus that city. And when they move, they totally miss the will of God for that part of their life. Why? No church there. 
No place for them to be able to raise up their children and their family in the right kind of setting to where God wanted them to be. So it's amazing that the will of God is not branches on a tree, that there's so many aspects to it. Okay, I married the right man or the right woman, and I'm a Christian. I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. I know that's the will of God, and <clears throat> I'm, I'm called to believe the message. I believe that's the will of God for my life. But yeah, I got this idea that I wanted to move to Chicago because I've always thought it'd be a great place to live. So I, want, I just want to go there. Well, why do you want to go? Well, I just do. I just, I just think that would be a, a great place to live. In the will of God, in the will of God, in the will of God, out of the will of God. Now what's amazing is that that one step out of the will of God can reflect every other aspect that were in the will of God and pleasing to Him. So it's, it, it's quite complicated and it's almost like that God allowed it to be in such a way that we as His people would realize we need him so desperately every day of our life because he knows how we are as humans. The very best of us will make the wrong choice. Notice John says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 17, and the world passeth away and the lust thereof. Now listen how important that the will of God is. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Now, I wonder how many of us here tonight might be praying about the will of God for a certain thing in our life, a certain aspect. Well, many of you are. Probably no doubt many of that are out, out streaming. <clears throat> now, look at this question again. How do you know when God is leading you to do something? This is one thing I love about question answers, and I'm going to give you one from question answers 1961. How do you feel is the best way to find the Lord's will in some important matters? I tell you, dear friend, the best way to find the will of God in some important matters is prayer. See, here's a wonderful little thing. If you have a matter that's very important, now here's the way I do it. I take it before the Lord, and it's always been my strengths. I find this amazing because he didn't say his strengths was being a prophet. He didn't say that even his strength was being a preacher or being a pastor. But his strength was finding that he could go to God in prayer and find direction about whatever it was that he was facing. I wait upon the Lord and see what he says. And I just let myself neutral. Neutral. Oh, how hard this is. I let myself neutral to it and don't take either side. So, you're praying about a certain thing to do in your life. If you're honest, you'll probably be like me. Most of us will have an inclination or a desire or a certain side that we want to take. Now, I really believe this is the will of the Lord for me to do this. Now, God, you just work it out, Lord, that this will be your will. We're not praying in neutral. We're praying with our minds already made up. Now, if, if the will of God was not already difficult enough to find, whenever we move out of neutral and we reach over and grab a hold of the gear shift and we pull it down and drive and we've got our foot on the gas at the same time we do it and we are out of here. We are convinced. I, I know. I know this is the will of God. And this is why we make mistakes. It's because we leave out the simple approach to neutrality. You see, neutrality is so important to God, and He knows how opposite that it is to our human nature. 
Now, it doesn't mean that we're horrible people because we have a certain inclination or a certain desire. Well, I'm, I'm hoping this is what God wants. I really, really hope this is what he wants. He knows how we feel. And I believe the Lord Jesus as a man, no doubt, felt the exact same way about certain things. You say, how could you say that? In the Garden of Gethsemane, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. Jesus did not want to die. As a man, he did not even want to leave his disciples knowing he was going away. As a man, he did not want to become a curse in the eyes of Almighty God. So he, when he prayed, he leaned toward a certain answer. But notice the neutrality, how powerful that it was. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Now you see, that's not wrong. Even the Lord Jesus asked, and he prayed a prayer that he knew was not going to be answered. If it be thy will, let, let this cup pass from me. But at the end of every bit of it, his amen was, I'm still neutral, Father. And that's what I want. Now watch how Brother Branham emphasizes this. He said, I just let myself neutral to it, and I don't take either side. And saying, the Heavenly Father, notice now how he brings this to us. Of course, now, in my case, most of the time, he said, if it's very important, I'll wait on a vision. Well, that excludes most of us, because most of us don't have visions, Right? We don't have visions. But many people God doesn't deal with in visions, so therefore I wouldn't advise you to do that, but because it's some people that has visions and some that's something else. Where do you see something else that I couldn't do, maybe in your way of serving the Lord? I do something that you couldn't do, and God deals with us different. So if I was in your place and didn't have visions from before the Lord, I would wait upon the Lord and say, Lord, now you show me What's the decision to make? And then the way you feel led, then just wait a little bit. Oh, okay, now wait a minute. So I pray, and then I feel led a certain way. I don't move immediately. I still wait. Isn't this amazing? Satan would love for us to be so afraid of missing the will of God that he causes us to jump ahead of the will of God out of what he wants to describe to us as a godly fear. Now, I hope you understand what I'm fixing to say. God does not, he does not hate us. God does not get angry at us when we try how we feel led. Because sometimes it's nothing but the devil leading us. Well, praise the Lord. I done made y'all mad now. But if we all would be honest, I'm sure that we've all felt led to do certain things, and it panned out it was not the Lord that led us. I told the brothers a while ago, me apparently sending that file to them in the PDF format, format rather, I'll just say what some of you say, the devil made me do it. It definitely wasn't the Lord because it caused them all kinds of difficulty and, and trouble. Now, notice what he said then. It, the way you feel led to do it, then wait a little bit, and then wait a little while longer. Wow, what a peculiar way to approach the will of God. So you're praying, and you think you have an answer. So you don't move. You wait a little bit, and then you wait a little while longer. 
but how fast whenever we sink, we are led to do something and we jump immediately. And then a month later, six months later, we look back and think, dear Lord, what have I done? Why? We didn't wait. We were so afraid we would miss the will of God. Don't you understand how Satan works on us as humans? He takes our converted desire and he will play with our minds with that very thing. You better do it. You better do it. You're going to get in trouble. God's going to get you. No, this is what God's prophet taught us. You're never going to do wrong by obeying what you're taught. Now, notice he said, so which side you lean toward? Say now, Father, in my heart. You know, it doesn't matter. Wow. Now, that's hard to say. But I want to know. Here's the key, though. I want to know what you want to do about it. Now, this is neutrality. Again, this is the power of neutrality. Most of us think of neutrality as being powerless. We've got it all wrong. Being neutral is such a powerful, wonderful thing. Now, listen, he said, that's the way I do about meeting. Sometimes I, I feel kind of led to go this way or that way. Then I follow that way. That's the way to do it because it's in prayer then. And you're doing the best that you can. Now, I believe this as Paul, friends, he said, as Paul said, in the New Testament and days gone by, he was between two straights, which way he should go. And he started on the wrong road, and he got a Macedonian call. Now, you imagine, here's a prophet messenger, and he makes a decision to go a certain, certain way. Say he's going to go preach at a certain city. But it was the wrong call. He, the Lord, no, 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 Paul. No, don't, 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 don't go there. And then he sees these people in this dream or vision, and they're from Macedonia, and they appear to him, and they said, we want you to come over here and preach to us. So Paul had to turn and go back. And he said, I believe that if you are making a decision for God and do it the best that you can, I believe God will correct you, see, to see that you don't go wrong. You're talking about a loving father. I believe God will do that. Now, whenever we feel led, say some of you are seeking God about your vocation, well, I think I'd like to be a, an electrical engineer. I'd like to be this. I'd like to be that. In reality, God gifts us in the way that he wants us to be. I had all kinds of different plans of being this and that and the other, and God laughed at my plans and said, you ain't going to be none of them. I'm going to make you a preacher. And then whenever God says I was going to be a preacher, okay, there's five aspects of being a preacher. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. And God didn't even ask me which one I wanted to be. You're saying, now this ain't even right. This ain't even right. How can that be right? He don't even ask me if I want to preach. He don't even say, hey, I was thinking about calling you to preach. What do you think about it? You want to pray about it? Get back with me in a few days and let me know what you think. You know, he don't even ask that. You know, and then whenever he wants me to be somebody, don't say, well, I'll tell you what. Now there's five aspects. Which one would you want to be? Well, Lord, let me think about it. I'll get back with you on that. So what does God do? Now people look at a preacher and they think, well, he's the only one that God does that too. No, he's not. You see, God calls us and God gives us certain gifts and certain ability. Now, let me say this to you tonight to encourage each of you. No matter how much you may think, I have nothing. I have no abilities. You should never look at yourself in that way. God has called you for specific things. 
And if you're all the time going around comparing yourself to this one and that one and the other one, you'll never reach the mark of what God wants you to be. Brother Darrell expressed that beautifully a couple of weeks ago. But yet God has called you. So God calls us that way. And then God wants us through prayer, communicative communication by, by prayer to God. And he will lead us what to do. The right vocation. So some start in college and they take a major in this. And then after they're in there for a couple of months, they think, you know what? I hate this. I don't want to be this. So then they go this way. Then they go that way. And they go that way. So you realize, as the prophet said it, that we would be better off, we would save God and ourselves so much trouble in life if we would go to him and say, Father, what do you want me to be? What do you want me to become? Then study with a direction. Pray with a direction. Watch this. In Revelation chapter 4, the prophet comes back and he also gives us, you all as sheep, myself as well. Believe it or not, just because I'm a pastor does not mean that I don't seek counsel. Because there's situations that I will come up against that maybe I've never dealt with before. I'll look in the scripture and see if I can find uh, something that's happened before. Or I will look into the message and see if perhaps someone asked the prophet a question about this or that. If I don't find it there and I pray and I can't seem to get into direction, I will either call or contact Brother Tim Pruitt, Brother Ron Spencer. I've got brothers and friends of mine around the world. And I will ask them, look, brothers, have you all ever dealt with this? Have you ever dealt with that? Why? Because I'm still learning. Now, here I am, been pastoring for 40 years, been preaching for longer than that. But yet, I don't think, and I hope I never get to a spot to where I think I do not need help and counsel. And I've found many times that I've got my answer from the Lord by talking to other men of God. And God allows us to be able to do that. Now, God doesn't give us uh, pastors and friends and things like that so that they will be dictators over our heart or over our face. They're there to help us whenever we're seeking God's counsel. Notice how Brother Ram goes with this. And I said, if you ever feel to do something or a revelation or something comes to you strangely, something warningly or something, be careful. Satan is as sly and slick as he can be. Put it with the word of God and consult your pastor. Now, it's amazing how many people will never do that. And then they go and make these mistakes in life and they look back and think, well, God, I've done everything you told me to do. No, you didn't. Well, I prayed. That's only part of what he said. Well, I looked in the Bible. You're not going to find the word electrical engineer in the Bible. You're not going to find for some of you, sister, well, I want to be a nurse. I want to be an RN. I want to be an LPN. You're not going to find them in the Bible either. So there's many things about our life and our vocation that we simply won't find. And remember, even if you come and talk to me about it, it don't mean I've got your answer. Because God may want to deal with you and you come and run it by me. Many times all I am as a pastor is simply a sounding board. And I remember several years ago, there's one of the brothers in our church and he was praying about taking a certain job and a certain thing. So I told him, I said, I'll tell you what, brother, we're going to sit here in the, in the room here and I'm just going to listen to you and you talk. Now, what, what I want you to do is I'm, I'm going to put a set of imaginary scales right here on my desk. 
And I said, I want you to put everything positive about this job on one side. And that I want you to put everything negative that you know about on the other side. Well, he started. Well, I'll make so much money. Oh, that was a big positive. Okay, so, you know, I'll have to work and I'll be gone. I'll be gone from home, but I'll be able to stream services. Well, that was another positive. I'll be able to do this and I'll be able to do that. So he talked and he talked. Man, the more he talked, that scale, it was falling plumb off of my desk. And every bit of it was positive. So he said all that he wanted to say. And I said, can I say something? He said, sure. That's why I'm here. I want your advice. So I said, I noticed that you left out your wife. And I noticed you left out your small children. You got some children that's coming into their teens. I noticed you didn't mention that. Is it okay if I put that on this side of the scale? Sure. So I said, so your wife is going to be here for weeks on end and she will have to be the head of the home. Right? Right. So you got children and they... So as I began to talk, I was not telling him what to do. Anybody ever talked to me? No, I, I, I don't go that way. What I want to do is to bring to you a balance and help you to look at it in the right way instead of just the one-sided way that most of us tend to look at things at. Because we are that way. It's just humans. I, as I sat there and talked to him, and I, I watched this serious look change from a serious look to a smile. And I realized right then he had his answer. Now, I didn't tell him to do anything. I didn't tell him, you go there, you don't do this, you do this. But all I did was, by the Spirit of God, I helped balance up the scale that he had so improperly balanced. And he made the decision totally himself, completely. Now, I've learned to realize that a lot of folks, one reason that they will not consult the pastor before they make major decisions is because they don't know what he'll tell them. And they really don't want to hear it. Now that's what gets us in serious trouble with God. You see, the Lord loves us so much, he will put one hurdle after another after another whenever we're fixing to make a terrible mistake. One of the greatest and biggest mistakes you'll ever make in your life is to marry the wrong person. And some of you, you're single, maybe you're looking for a man, a woman of your dreams. And you say, I'm just so lonely, I'm just so lonely, I want a wife, I want a husband. I'm just so lonely. I'll tell you what's even worse than being single and being lonely, being married and being lonely. Because someone with a beautiful smile or beautiful eyes or whatever more, and you overrode that something, that, that little red flag, that little something in your heart that, that was just no, 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 no. And the more you overrode it, you begin to silence that voice. I do not believe our Father wants any of us to make the wrong choices in life. I use this, this illustration a lot. Um, as I sit here in the office and I'm counseling to people and as they look out the blind there on the outside and I'll tell them, uh, you've been up those steps there? Yes, sir, I've been up those steps. I said, so you know there's a really steep bank right there. Yes, sir, I know that bank. I said, okay. So we're sitting in the office and we're talking about this and both of us see a small toddler. And that toddler is standing right here about where I park my car. 
And we can see that toddler is, hand, is, is going in the direction of that bank. We can see the way that toddler is going. It has no intentions of stopping. What we're talking about is very important. That toddler's not yours. It's not mine. But we would stop our conversation and put it on hold and run out that door and grab that child because we can see that child does not understand by its ability of the depth of perception. It does not see what's fixing to happen. It could break its neck. It could kill itself. How cruel we would be if we would sit here and watch that child do that. And then I'll turn and always say, magnify that by millions and millions of times. And imagine your loving Heavenly Father watching you in a precipice of life, seeing you're fixing to make the most horrible decision of your life. And Him sitting there in heaven and say, be careful, Rob. Be careful. Y'all have a safe trip now. That's not my father. And that's not your father. So why is it that so many Christians wind up making such a mess out of their life? By what? The decisions they make. And many of them will title them, I felt led. Well, you can take my word for this. You'd not believe the different things that I've heard that people felt led to do. Some have felt led to leave their wife and marry somebody else's wife. Well, it wouldn't take much of a Bible scholar to tell you that's the devil doing that. Right? Some of those things are no-brainers. We can look at them and say, well, my goodness, anybody in the right mind would know that. But there's other parts about the journey that become a little more complicated. So God gives us one barrier after another after another because he loves us. So we won't make terrible mistakes. Clear? Anybody else? Have anything you question on that question? Okay. How do you know when someone is the right one God has for you? Well, it's butterflies. Don't you? I, mean, I thought everybody knew that. It may seem strange to people outside of our ranks, but we know that our companion that was given to us by God, it's actually not just our choice. Now, it is our choice. But when you look at it in reality, the church that you go to is not really your choice. The pastor that you sit under, it should not be your choice. I mean, I, I hear it all the time that there's people who actually come to Happy Valley and I wasn't their choice of a pastor. That always makes me feel so wonderful. <laughs> I mean, they're just being honest. They would have rather went here and there and there. And, and, and they're, they're trying to make a point whenever they will tell me that. I'm so glad that they always tell me the point afterwards because I'd, <laughs> I'd probably just walk away very discouraged. But, but the point was that, well, Brother Donnie, my first choice would have been to go here or there or there. But I just kept feeling the Lord was leading me here. And now I see why. Because under your ministry, we've changed and we've done this and that and the other. So it, it might be the same way with a mate. So the very one that God might have for you, initially you might look at them and they might look at you and they might not like you at all. 
And they'd say, what in the world is the matter with that girl? What in the world is the matter with that boy? Sort of like Carol did me when we initially met. I knew she'd come around, bless her heart. She was just a little bit slower than me, but she finally called up. But God, when God gives us that something, it is truly a revelation. Now, I'm sure that all of you young people sitting here tonight have had revelations from God in your life. Have you not? Whether it was serpent seed, God sending a prophet, whatever doctrinal thing, and you may have heard it since you was a little boy or a girl. But one day, reading reading your Bible, listening to a tape, sitting in a service, maybe at a youth camp or a banquet, all of a sudden, that doctrine that you had heard all of your life, and yet a preacher just went a little different angle than the way you'd ever heard it before, and it was just like a light bulb switched on and you say oh my goodness I see it oh I see it another saying you see what serpent seed serpent seed you've heard that since you was in Sunday school but all of a sudden it becomes so real to you what was that a revelation from God and a real mate that God puts together that's what they really are but brother Donnie what about the brown eyes and the blue eyes and the broad shoulders and the tall dark and handsome he might be short fat and squatty amen. sister Sarah are you saying amen I noticed it was just one sided there but there's something about it when God puts you together that time can never separate Sickness, heartache can never separate. I love the way that Brother Branham deals with this in Kinsman Redeemer. When a man loves a woman and marries her because she's just pretty, there'll be an end to that. But when a man finds a woman that he loves, he don't know why. Now how odd is that? Now, that would be the very opposite of the way most people would describe what we call falling in love. Y'all familiar with the term, right? I mean, truly, goodness, that ain't outdated, falling in love. So some people say it's love at first sight. And truly, for some, it might be that way. But for most people, it's probably the term that I just used, falling in love. So you're around that person and you get to liking them more and more and you become more compatible and you, all these things are going together. So what's happening? You're falling in love with that individual. But if you can write down all the answers of why you love that person, I would advise you not to marry them. Brother Donnie, you didn't catch the quote. He said, when a man finds a woman that he loves, he don't know why. Oh, she's pretty. She's, you know, her hair's certain, certain color. Her eyes, you know, he's this tall, dark, handsome, or short, whichever. And, and whenever they, you know, well, and, and then that, that, well, every one of those things you listed might change. So as the electrician was up on the roof of a certain Baptist church and he's repairing an electrical wire and he gets into that wire and his body grounds the wire and his face, a married man with children, nearly all of his face caught on fire and burn off. 
So if his wife married him because he was handsome and she goes to the hospital, his flesh is melted. He has no eyes, no nose. True story. No lips. They do surgery after surgery after surgery. As a matter of fact, this man is the first one in the United States to get a full face transplant. So if she married him because of looks, she would have a right to divorce him and marry another. But what if she married him because she loved him? And she couldn't really define, oh yeah, his looks was certain, certain so-and-so, his eyes, his hair, this and that and the other. You can ask a lot of the men in our church, that hair might go in time. Uh-oh. And if it don't turn loose, it will turn gray. So it's going to turn one way or the other. So when a person, notice how he says this. A man finds a woman, he loves her, and he don't know why he loves her. And she finds the man that she loves. Well, sisters, this is a tough quote to swallow. No matter what he looks like. <laughs> Brother Robbie should have said amen right there, buddy. <laughs> he loves her. She loves him. Listen what this is. That's an eternal mate in glory. Death nor nothing else can ever separate them. Because they are from eternity and stepped out into a space of time and will return back to eternity. Eternity has dropped down in a body called time and it goes right back up into eternity again. It cannot perish. So how do you know when someone is right, the right one that God has for you? You pray. You look at it. Now, there's nothing wrong with looking at the differences that you have. And you've heard me say it before, that whenever I'm counseling a couple that's going to be engaged to get married, and most of them will come to me before they get engaged, and we're praying about it, and I will ask them, do you love each other? Yes, yes. Have you prayed about it? Yes. Have you talked to her father? Yes, we've got his blessing. And then I'll say, do you like each other? Yeah, that's what they always do. They always laugh. Why do y'all laugh when I say that? Now, the reason I ask that is because after counseling 40 plus years of married people, what I find is many times things that get on one another is things they don't like about one another. It's not that they don't love anyone, each other anymore, but it's just the habitual day-to-day -day activity. Say so some of you guys don't pick up your clothes very well. Now, I'm not saying, I'm just saying, you know, I'm just, I'm not saying that there's anybody guilty here. And you, you've got, you, oh, oh, all right, we've got a brother here under conviction. Lay your hand on him, Arceus. <clears throat> so he doesn't pick up his shoes very well. And each of us have our makeup. The girl was raised in her norm. The boy was raised in his norm. And when you come together, what are you going to do? You're going to have trade-offs. And you're going to find a new norm and create a new one. But the difficult part is being able to merge together. But if you've got real love by which you can base it on, your love will be stronger than your dislikes for this, that, and other. Now, my wife, Carol, she is a neat, neat person. I mean, she loves neat. Super neat, the more neat, the better it is. Well, I'm the type of guy, if I'm working on something, I've got this drawer open, that drawer open, this door open. It don't make no sense to me to get screw out and put it back together, get an open door, get another screw out, boo that. It don't make no sense. 
So I've got cabinets down in my basement and I like to build woodworking and taxidermy work and different things that I do down there. So I've got cabinets that stand about this tall, double doors, you open them up. Well, I've got wood here, I've got you know feathers over here, I've got snake skins here, I've got this, this, this. So if I'm doing a taxidermy something for some, some of the brothers, I may have eight or 10 of these cabinets open at one time. That is until Carol comes downstairs. Now, Carol's only going to be there 10 or 15 minutes. But as Carol comes by each double door, them double doors don't close automatically. But Carol automatically closes them for me. So she'll come through and close every one of them. And when she leaves, now I have to exert more energy to open every one of them back up. I see you're laughing. But you'd be surprised how many people that I have counseled that have had things just this simple and causes the office problem ever was. Oh, I dealt with an issue several years ago. A man and wife, it was nearly, it was nearly a divorce case. They called me, it was screaming, it was hollering, it was awful. And it was simply because she wanted breakfast for supper, but he wanted supper for supper. You think that's funny, did you? I'll call you the next time they call me. Did they love each other? Of course. Of course. Would they wish harm on either one? No. But it was just the likes and the dislikes. Real love can look at the flaws of that man that you want to marry. And they don't have to say, no, they don't exist. No. I close my eyes to any of her faults. You better look at them, buddy. That's going to be what's going to aggravate you. But if you love her more than her faults, and you love him more than his faults and his shortcomings, ah, oh, sounds like to me y'all stepped out of eternity together to live here in a body called time. So don't be afraid to look at shortcomings. and Don't be afraid to be able to acknowledge, well, this is fine. No, that's okay. I have no problem with that because our love will help us to deal with it. That's the way real love is. That's the way he loves us. He looked at us and knew we would cause him so much pain even after we got saved. But he loved us so much, he said, I'm willing. I'm willing to embrace you with all your shortcomings. Aren't you glad? Boy, I'll tell you one thing. If Jesus didn't love me like that, there'd be no hope for me. How do you know when someone is right, the right one God has for you? Again, approach it prayerfully, open-hearted, open mind, be able to look and see, are you compatible? And don't just look at him. But whenever I'm counseling sisters, I will tell them, that young man that you're looking at, see how he treats his mama. See how he treats his sisters if he has them. That'll give you a pretty good idea of how he's going to treat you. Because if he has inferiority complexes toward women, if he's raised by a strong woman in the house, he may take that out on you once you're married. I might ought to go into this office here and finish this. And it's the same way, young men, whenever you are looking to marry a girl. Look and see how... She treats her daddy. Look and see how she treats her brothers, her uncles. Look and see how she treats the pastor or other men of authority. 
in her life. Because don't think she's going to despise the pastor and her father and every other male figure in her life. And all of a sudden, oh, she's just going to melt in your arms. And everything is going to be wonderful. You're dreaming, boy. I should say you've got a nightmare. Why? Because there's something in her that has molded her that way. Real love can look at that. Now, see, some of y'all are thinking, I'll never be married. I'd rather for you to delay it and find the right one. I don't want to talk to you all in there. Right? So when it's real love, it can look at the flaws, the shortcomings, the mistakes, and there's something in you that drives you toward that individual because it'd be God that pulls you together. Clear? Well, we've got about 39 pages and we're at page 6 so far, so we're not doing very good. (laughs) How do you know? This was an awesome question. How do you know when you have the Holy Ghost? St. John 14, 16, Jesus said, I will pray the Father. And he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Now remember, Jesus, not in the Trinitarian view, is praying to an old man in heaven. And then the third person is going to come down. But Jesus is setting forth the office work of God. Not three people, but offices. I am husband. I am father, I am grandfather, I am brother, I am uncle, I am all them offices, but I'm only one person. So Jesus is praying to who? The Father that dwells in him. And he said, even the spirit of truth, now Jesus uses this several times in the Gospels to describe the Holy Ghost. This is what the Holy Ghost is, the spirit of truth. So we can have truth and not have the spirit of truth. Why? Because we can set under the right kind of teaching. And many people have done it for years and years. And they have truth, but they have it up here. And then they get around other people that talk them out of it. And then they walk away from that truth that they had. But if you get the spirit of truth with truth and it's sealed in your soul, nobody can ever talk you out of it. So notice Jesus doesn't just say that I'll, I'll give you the truth. But even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Now, this is why a sinner, if there would be one here tonight and they'd come up and say, I want to get saved. Well, we could not come and say, all right, let's everybody gather around this sinner and we're going to pray God will fill them with the Holy Ghost. That's not going to happen. They must repent. Could they get the Holy Ghost in a few minutes? Oh, yes, they could. But God ain't going to give them the Holy Ghost until they repent of their sins and God eradicates that nature. But notice Jesus identifies it as the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. So Jesus is describing himself. This is another reason people can't get the Holy Ghost. They're praying for a third person. But Jesus said the reason you guys are going to get it is because you know him. He dwells with you. He dwells with you now. But he's going to be in you. 
Notice in St. John 14, 18, he says, I will not leave you comfortless. I, well, I, wait a minute, I, I thought he said the Holy Ghost is going to come. He is the Holy Ghost in another form. I will come to you. Now notice the attributes of the Holy Ghost. St. John 14, 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I've said unto you. St. John 15, 26. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father. Now, wait a minute. I thought Jesus said the Father was going to send it in his name. Now, Jesus said he's sending it from the Father. If these ain't the same people, we got about two or three different Holy Ghosts, and we got two or three people sending it. I remember when I was over in China several years ago, all them folks ever still struggling with the Godhead. So the Lord placed it on my heart to be able to approach it from the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the Lord began to quicken some things to me where God said in the Old Testament, he was the first and the last. Then I come to the New Testament, Jesus said he was the first and he was the last. God said this and this and this in the Old Testament, Jesus said the very same words in the New Testament. And then as the Spirit of God began to bring that together, and I brought it to those Chinese believers, and they began to see themselves from their own Bible that either this person was the very same one or there's two firsts and two lasts. Two beginnings or two gods. And you know what? There sit them Chinese Christians and more here tonight than there were there in that particular meeting. But they sat there and the Spirit of God, and I watched it over this person and that one and that one and that one. And their eyes come open, Brother Rob. It was absolutely phenomenal to watch the Spirit of God as he quickened and opened their eyes to that understanding. So this is one reason why people cannot receive the Holy Ghost because they're praying to a person that does not exist. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, please, Holy Spirit, third person of the Godhead, come into me. They're praying to a false God. That's heavy. So when you pray for the Holy Ghost, you're not praying to a second person or a third person, but you're praying to the Almighty the one and true and living God, for him to come into you in the form of the Holy Ghost. What is the Holy Ghost? It's the God form that can come into us human beings. You see, we could not receive that form that's in the heaven that is called Theos. That is the infinite, the ineffable. That's the everything, the eternal. There's no way I could contain that. So God condescended in a form called the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And he said, here, Donnie, I'll come down in such a form that you can receive me. It's still me. And the same contents that's in this Gatorade right here is, is in one drop or a whole bottle or a whole building full. In eternity is the whole building full, as we'd say. But my baptism is one drop. Now notice in St. John 16, 13, how be it when he, the spirit of truth has come. Here's the evidence. He will guide you into all truths. So the Holy Ghost will guide you into all truths, which will include Luke 17, 30, 
Malachi 4, Revelation 10. So he doesn't just lead you to preaching on the cross. Now you see people misunderstand us when we say that. Are you against the cross? No. But there's so much more than just the cross. Watch people who stop at the cross. See how far they go in God. As if though God made all these mistakes by inspiring his men to write all these other things in the Bible. Now I want you to think of this. John the Beloved was the only apostle that stood at the foot of the cross. When you get time, I'd like for you to do a Bible search for me. You can do it online if you don't have software on your phone. And see how many times John mentions the word cross. And yet this man saw it himself. But he mentions it less than some of the other writers. You think, well, my goodness, he's the guy who saw it. He did see it. But yet, how come he didn't preach it more than Paul? How come he didn't preach it more than than Peter, more than Jude? The same man who saw the cross was the same one who preached about seven seals, seven thunders, seven church ages, one mystery after another, after another, after another. Why? Why? Why would he do that? Because he saw the cross was the bridge that placed us on the other side back into the presence of God and made a way for all the rest of these other things to be understood by the grace of God. Oh, how could we ever get to God without the cross? There's no way. This is God's way. But it is just the beginning to get us to his presence. Let me read a couple more scriptures. Can it's time for us to stop? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you, has he quickened? Now remember this question, what it was. How can you, how, how do you know when you have the Holy Ghost? Look at these scriptures. He'll lead and guide you into all truths. He'll guide you into the ways of the word of God. He will be a comforter. The word comfort there is the Greek word parakletos, which is one that's called alongside to help. You see, the Spirit of God doesn't just want to be the pastor. God don't want me to be your Holy Ghost. God don't want your mom and daddy to be your Holy Ghost. He wants you to have the baptism of the Holy Ghost just like your mama, just like your daddy, just like every other individual on the earth that's had it. And he wants to be able to guide you through the things of life. But notice Paul says, you hath he quickened who were dead and trespasses and sins. Now this is before we got converted. Where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. This is before we got the Holy Ghost. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. This is pre-Holy Ghost. So people that lust, that lie, that commit adultery, that do many of these things, and they profess Christianity, I'm not going to say they're not a Christian. I'm not going to say that they're not looking to the Lord for their salvation. But I will say they don't have the Holy Ghost. Because the Holy Ghost delivers us from such a life. If he don't, what good does it do to have the Holy Ghost? Among whom, now notice how Paul puts it in the past for those that are converted. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past. Not ongoing since we've got the Holy Ghost, but this was before we got converted. 
in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. So what does the Holy Ghost do? Changes your desires, changes your nature. How will you know if you got the Holy Ghost? Well, you'll love the things of God. You'll love his word. Now that don't mean you're not gonna fight this battle because this don't have the Holy Ghost. Y'all understand that, right? And it will be carnal, sticky. It'll bother you as long as you live. That's right. First John three fourteen. we know, we know that we have passed from death unto life because, read it with me. We know we have passed from death unto life. So it's not guessing. I'm hoping. Well, I hope I am. Well, we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. And whosoever hateth his brother is what? A murderer. A murderer. And you know, no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So anyone, or you say, well, I don't like the way they do, but do you hate them? There's a great difference in not liking the way a brother does this or a sister does that and not liking their mannerisms, and we've all got that. Oh, this is one reason why we all need a body change. Thank God we're going to be set free from ourselves. Can I, go, can I have just a couple more minutes and then we'll, we'll stop right here. This is a private interview. It was uh, from a, a sister by the name of Sister Georgie Bruce. She went to the Branham Tabernacle and went there for many, many years. She recorded this private interview and several years ago they made it public. Sister Bruce says, but I've never had an experience that I have been filled with the Holy Ghost. Now listen to this carefully that I could put my foot on. All right, notice this. Now this is Brother Branham. Ordinarily a human being born in sin, shaped in iniquity, come to the world speaking lies. That's the nature of a human being. Sister Bruce says yes. That was our nature. It changed once. But what changed it? She answers, Christ. There you are, sister. See, that's it. He that heareth my words and believeth on him that sent me. Now remember, this is July the 5th, 1964. Has eternal life and shall not come into judgment, but has past tense passed from death unto life. St. John 5, 24, Jesus speaking. And you're a Christian, Sister Bruce. I've watched your life. Now listen to this. I've watched you under vision and I know you're a Christian all I can say is it's a good thing I wasn't in that interview if that name would have been instead of Sister Bruce it had been Brother Donnie Reagan and that prophet looked at me and said Donnie I've watched your life by vision I said where you want a new outdoor in this office I'd have had myself a spell. But I believe with all of my heart, we can be just as sure as Sister Georgia Bruce was. Now, if that wasn't enough, 
He goes on to say, see, I'm your shepherd as it was. And Sister Bruce says, yes. Somebody to help, which is what a shepherd is, of course. See, if there was any doubt in my mind, if I thought there was something wrong, I'd tell you, Sister Bruce, she says, I believe that. But if there's anything wrong in your experience, anything between you and God, as far as I know anything about it, Sister Bruce, there's not a thing. I don't think we could have anything ever better said to us in our life. How awesome that would be in this place if every one of us could have that assurance. There's nothing between you and God tonight. Praise the Lord. Sister Bruce, there's not one thing now we'll stop. We'll pick that up again because I've got several more things here that I'm going to go into. I don't, I don't want to rush it. Let's just bow our heads. Lord Jesus, I sense your presence. Thank you that it worked out this way, Lord. I prayed how to even put these questions in order. I see why you had me to put them the way that I did. You knew it would work out this appropriate time. Lord Jesus, may you search each of our hearts tonight. We want your will, yes. We want the right mate in life. If you've called us to be a carpenter, a painter, or real estate agent, or whatever it is, Father, we want that. But, oh, Lord, to know that there's nothing between us and our Savior. What would it be worse to each of us tonight in this building and those that are streaming to know there's nothing between us and you? I don't believe you love Sister Georgia Bruce more than you love us. Just a simple little woman. A woman that was not a great theologian. A woman that Probably the world would have looked at and turned up their nose at her. But what an answer she got from the presence of God. Lord Jesus, I believe you desire by your presence tonight to make that just as real to us. That each of us can know it is well with my soul. There's nothing between me and my Savior. Would you deal with each of our hearts, Father? With our heads bowed, I wonder, not only just in the visible audience, but those that have streamed and those that will go back and archive this later. I wonder how many of us here, just by raising our hands, say, Lord, that's what I want more than anything. But I can know there's nothing between me and you. Not temper, not any besetting sin. Lord, not lust, not lying, nothing, nothing. Jealousy, hatred, nothing, Lord, between me and you. Now, I don't believe it's just something that the Lord wants to happen here this Monday night.
and then we lose it. No, I believe he wants us to live there. So every day of our life, but Brother Donnie, what if I mess up? He's made a way for us. John said, little children, I write unto you that you sin not. But if any man sin, we have a perpetuation, a go-between. We have an atonement or a sacrifice, which is Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's the one who made a way. God don't want us to miss the mark, and that's what the word sin means, to miss the mark. So what do we do when we miss it? We ask him to forgive us and help us to overcome that so we don't fall into that trap again. How many of you want that in your life tonight? Would you just raise your hand to the Lord? God bless you. Would you mind just putting your hand on that person's shoulder, maybe sitting there near you? Let's just offer a word of prayer for each other. Lord Jesus, we bring our, our brothers and sisters, our friends. Maybe it's a sister in the flesh, even a brother in the flesh. Lord God, we bring each other. We're not praying for ourselves now. But we're asking you tonight, Father. Lord, as the pastor of this assembly, I don't know of anything greater I could ask for, Lord, but that each of these sheep could have this in their life. Not only them, but their mothers and fathers and their grandmothers and grandfathers and every individual, Lord. Those around the world that call this their home church, Father, they have no church to attend where they live. Lord, that each of them Father God, they could have this testimony. Heavenly Father, that they, they feel there's nothing between you and them. Oh, what a victory we would have in our lives, Lord Jesus. And we know that involves so much. That involves our everyday walk and making the right choices and praying over things and going about things the way you've laid it out for us. Help us, Father. If there's one here tonight, they've missed the will of God somehow. Help them, Lord, to realize. They just go back. They just, they just simply go back and say, Lord, I missed you. I, I'm sorry about that. I want to start over again. Lord, help us to realize that's what it takes. Real believers, the zeal of this hour is repent. And that's what we always want to be able to do. It's one great difference that we notice between Saul and David. David had his mistakes and his errors. But Saul could never admit he was completely wrong himself. He wanted to blame it on this one and that one and the other. Well, the people wanted me to do it. The people wanted this and the people wanted that. But yet David was a man after God's own heart. He was not perfect. He was not without his flaws. But there's one thing David knew how to do. He knew how to repent. And he knew how to repent fast. When the prophet stood there and said, David, thou art the man. Within a few seconds, the judgment of God would have thundered from that prophet's mouth. But David repented immediately in his heart. And the next words to come out of that prophet's lips was not, I condemn you to death. It was not, you will die. But the next words that come out of his lips was, you shall not surely die. Why? Because David knew how to repent and repent quickly. Lord, may we always know how to do that. When we make our mistakes, when we make the wrong choices, whatever it is in life, may we be able to quickly repent, go back and start over again, Father. Thank you for our time together tonight, Lord. 
I pray that it was pleasing to you, Father. We love you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Praise the Lord. Can we send our feet? Maybe they'll come and just sing. Sing a little song together as we worship the Lord for just a few minutes before we go. Thank you for coming tonight. Um, at this rate, it may take us a little while to get to all of them, but we'll do our best. So, God bless you. Don't you just love Him with all your heart? Some of you will never make the who's who. You'll never be a great renowned scientist, maybe, or a doctor that'll find some cure for some terrible disease. Well, I can tell you, I've been in who's who. There ain't no big deal about it. No, I was in there a few years ago. My name is there. I've got the copy if you'd like to look at it. Didn't do me any good at all. Somebody recommended that I go in there, and they sent me a copy. They sent me a notification again last week. Hey, we're wanting to put you back in the who's who. I thought it didn't do me no good then. What did it do for me now? But I know one who's who that I'm in, and I believe every one of you here tonight are in that one. Who's God's who? That's the one we want in, don't we? Our lives may be so small in the eyes of the world, but remember, He loved you so much. I believed He would have died for you if you were the only one that was on the earth. He would have done it for you. So Jesse, just sing something for us. Can we just worship together just a little bit before we go? We'll ask Brother Rob if you want to come. Thank you, Lord. Appreciate that, Brother Donnie. Thank you. I want what you want for me, dear Lord. Whatever.
Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. studying and, and making things so clear. And I just want to tell you, when I first, before I started coming to church, I'll just give you a little testimony. One of the things that got my attention was uh, Brother Larry Elliott had, had worked with me and we went to lunch every day and there would be a Bible question that would come up and we're in the Bible Belt and everyone has an opinion. 
and we would have this person from this denomination give their opinion on a question and it would go around the table and when that when the message came forth it's like i recognized that voice there's something behind it and it's like that's the answer and there's so many things and i started i got my attention i started reading the message and i started seeing there are answers to life's questions my concern for you being younger i've i can associate with a lot of these things because i am older and i've had more time for mistakes and learning from mistakes the joy of the message is that you can learn what God has for you before you make that mistake. It may cause you all kinds of pain. And it's something, it was, I marveled at the fact that there was answers in the message. There was answers to life and questions that men have wondered for as long as human history, what those answers are and if things are there. And it's something to have Brother Donnie, it was like a counseling session that many times I will go to him and ask my pastor what on this something big event and that was like coming out tonight and i just appreciate that you could enjoy that thank god for brother donnie doing that study i thank you i encourage you to do it again no it's a wonderful thing that we admire and appreciate once again thank you for being here once you do it again god bless you all have a good night you're dismissed thank you